church to the kids zone. You are free to have them do that at this time. Uh, and if you'd like to keep your children with you, you're free to do that as well. There's also a nursery provided for anybody that uh, is uh, younger than three or so. And uh, anybody three through third grade or so, you are free to be dismissed at this time. And once again, thank you for being here today. If you're brand new with us, I encourage you to fill out one of the connect cards in the bulletin that you hopefully receive coming in. And if you're online, you can fill out one online as well. And uh, what a joy it is to be together as the body of Christ together, desiring to grow and mature in our faith. And if you haven't been here over the last several weeks, we've been kind of going through a study, a sermon series on the mission statement of our congregation. The idea of needing to be a church that seeks, that reconciles people into a relationship with Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ with God, and in order that if we go and do life together, there's going to be times where we need to restore one another uh, as all of us fall short of God's glory, that we build one another up and, and help each other come back into the fold, as well as in order that we can equip each other to do ministry, to be the disciples that God has called us to be. And so those are areas that we're always trying to improve on, uh, areas that we're trying to be better at. And so, again, if you have missed any of those, I encourage you to fill out, or not fill out, but go online and uh, pvcc.info or .com, and you can uh, find our past sermons. You can go to our YouTube page, find past sermons, and that way you can get caught up. And so today we're kind of moving to something different. Something that a lot of times we uh, discuss in January, and uh, I'm choosing today to look at it in October. And it's this idea of our finances, being stewards, giving back to God. And we do, you guys do a great job when it comes to uh, giving back to God. And in a lot of ways, I just want to say congratulations, good job. I want to give you a pat on the back for your faithfulness to God. Uh, during this crazy time of, of our world that we've been in, a lot of churches, uh, their finances have dropped off. Some have had to close doors. Some have had to lay off uh, staff members, uh, others have gone and, and had to rely on, on government funding to be able to continue. We haven't had to do any of that. And I want to say thank you because I believe it's because of the faithfulness of your willingness to be faithful to God in your giving. And so we've continued to maintain when it comes to our expenditures and the giving that has come in. In fact, many months there's been giving that has exceeded what is normally giving given and so I just want to say congratulations good job keep it up because you are doing what God is calling you to do when it comes to your finances and we've been able to see a lot of a lot of good things take place over this last year because of the the giving that you've uh, been a part of we are able to meet people's physical needs when they come in and they're looking for uh finances they're looking for uh, maybe food from the food pantry uh, there's a lot of different opportunities I, I don't think a week goes by where we don't see someone uh, that we don't know come in and need financial help and we're able to be able to do that and help them because of your willingness to give and this over this past year uh, we've seen 10 percent of what you guys have given uh, and what has been spent has been has gone out into missions and I would say actually even more than 10%. That's 10% that was budgeted. But beyond what is budgeted and given, a lot of you generously give towards our mission beyond what the church as a whole 
normally gives. And so I would say we're over 10% in giving to our missions and the school. And some of you give generously towards the school. And, and I, again, I'm choosing today in October to look at this idea of finances and giving here in October for a couple different reasons. The first one is, is that our fiscal year, if I'm saying that word correctly because I'm really good at English, uh, it kind of starts over around this time. I believe it begins again here in November, and so that's kind of why you've seen the different teams that are part of the church, and if you're not a part of a team and you want to be a part of, come talk to me. But a lot of different of the teams do different ministries, and so they put in uh, the budgets that they're looking to see God work through when it comes to the, the finances, and so those have been coming in. The elders look over those, pray over those, see where, you know, God is directing us when it comes to being good stewards of what God has blessed this church body with, and this is the time of year that that all takes place, and so I just kind of want us to, as we're starting fresh here coming in November, I want us to think about how God wants to continue to use us in the area of our finances, and the second thing is, is that, you know, we're entering a time of year where giving is really, you know, encouraged, in fact, even in this specific congregation, you've given above and beyond in lots of different areas besides your normal giving. And, and we encourage you to pray through and think through and be challenged in seeing where God might use you when it comes to doing extra in areas like we've had our revival, and, and many of you gave towards the revival speaker. We've had pastor appreciation today. People have given towards that. Operation Christmas Child boxes that are out in the foyer. We do boxes of blessings for families around Thanksgiving time. The Embrace Grace baby showers coming up on November 5th. Christmas, of course, is soon upon us. All these different things that are kind of above and beyond what normally takes place that we would love for you to be praying about and thinking through how you can be used by God. God in those areas, and I don't want us to be get overwhelmed by all those things. I think we can get overwhelmed at this time of year when it comes to giving, like, ah, I, I don't, I, there's, I, it's, I'm tapped out, but the reality is, is that God can work through us in those different areas when it comes to our finances, so we're, I just want to share a two-week mini-series, I'm calling it, and, and this is a mini-series on financial fitness, okay, and so you're doing a great job, you're here today. Again, in person or online, so you already hit the first week. So all you got to do is make sure to be back next week, and you'll do the whole series, all right? It's a quick series, but be back next week. But today, today's message is entitled, The Secret of Financial Health. The Secret of Financial Health. Will you pray with me? God, this morning, may you work during this time. May we be ready and willing to hear what you have to share with us. May your Holy Spirit speak to us through your word, that we're understanding it correctly, May I be presenting it correctly, and may together we be growing in our understanding of your word and what you want from us. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Let's begin by turning over to Ecclesiastes. Todd and I were talking about how the Holy Spirit is working in different ways. And we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 9. I encourage you to turn over there. I'm using the New Living Translation. It just it says it in a way that I really think kind of resonates with myself and so ecclesiastes 6 verse 9 from the new living translation says enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have just dreaming about nice things is meaningless chasing like chasing the wind you see one of the biggest enemies to financial health is the enemy that makes us think that we don't have enough that it's the enemy that makes us live our lives trying to get more. And it's the enemy that makes us 
unwilling to share our money with others. And it's the enemy that causes us to, to not honor God with our finances. And it's this enemy, I believe, of materialism. And so I want to share a definition with you this morning. I'd encourage you to write this down. Materialism is an unhealthy desire for more. And then the key word in there is this idea of unhealthy. It's an unhealthy desire for more. You see, we live in a world that Todd talked about that requires for us to have physical things. That We're not going to get around that. But it's this unhealthy desire for more that causes materialism to keep us from being financially fit. And it's a heart issue. Materialism is a heart issue. It's this idea of money controlling our hearts instead of God controlling our hearts. And in most cases, we understand that debt, it's not a money issue, it's a, it's a heart issue. And out-of-control spending is not a money issue, it's a heart issue. Credit card abuse, it's a heart issue. And it stems from this unhealthy desire to have more. And this unhealthy desire for more keeps us from being generous with others, wanting to give back to God, and keeps us from financial health. So if you want to be financially healthy this morning, you're going to need to deal with this deeper heart issue of materialism. And we got to dig deep. Because it's, it's kind of like if we just have t take Tylenol to try to solve our issue with cancer. You know, it might relieve some pain immediately for a short term. But in the long term, we're still faced with cancer. And so today... We have to loosen the grip that materialism has on our hearts so that we can defeat the unhealthy desire to have more. That we might be financially fit. But before I get too far in the message, I want to share just three myths that I encourage you once again to write down. Three myths that maybe keep us from really being financially fit. Three myths that rob us. Did you catch that money? It phrase and rob us of financial health myth number one having more will make me happy that's a myth that is not true having more will make me happy because if that was true then the ones that have the most in our world would be the happiest but once again that's just not true there was a lady in 2017 that won $758.7 million in a lottery win all to herself. She didn't have to share it with anybody else. $758.7 million. And I really think that I would be really happy with that. I mean, wouldn't you guys? I think I would be very happy. But the psychological studies show that lottery wins, the happiness that comes from lottery wins, only lasts three months. Three months. After three months of winning $758.7 million, that person goes back to being the same amount of happy they were prior to winning that lottery. And you think, well, how is that even possible? That doesn't make any sense. But I think the reality for many of us is we've experienced that, maybe on a lot smaller scale. But maybe you've been looking forward to buying a, a new vehicle, or maybe you're looking forward to buying a new couch, or maybe you're looking forward to having new carpet put in. You're, man, you're so happy when all that takes place. And then pretty soon it wears off. And you think, huh, well that's old news. It, it's no longer all that exciting. It doesn't make me that much 
It's not making me happy. And, and this first myth of having more makes me happy is just not true. The second myth, having more will make me important. Luke 12, 15 says, Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in an abundance of his possessions. Meaning, your value doesn't come from your valuables. That's not where you get your worth. That's not what causes you to be important. And it's easy to fall into this lie of, I am what I own. But the truth is, once again, that your value does not come from your valuables. And the problem with this is it, this kind of thinking is that it causes us to buy things that we don't really need with money that we don't really have to try to impress people that we don't really like. You know? You know what I'm saying? And it only gets us into trouble. We, we fall into this trap where we're constantly doing this this cycle of trying to spend money to impress people but it, it just it doesn't work that's not where we get our value our value comes from god and the third myth having more will make me secure and it's easy to think this that if i get more money and i have more possessions and i then i'll be more secure if i can build up my bank account my savings my checking if i can get, get the right investments then you know, I'm going to be able to have more, and, and, and I can have more possessions, and if I need to, I can sell those possessions, and, I, and I'm, I'm more stable, I'm more secure, and, and we begin to kind of just depend on ourselves. And from my experiences, that's not necessarily true. Having more doesn't necessarily make me more secure. In fact, right now, I own a summer home in Gary, Nebraska. If anybody needs a summer home in Gary, Nebraska, I have one to sell you. But that home there, it, it causes more worry for my life. I'm not there. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if a pipe is broken, the basement's flooded, you know, and I have this I have this house that I'm trying to sell and you think, well, if we have more possessions, more finances, then we're going to be more secure. And again, I believe the exact opposite is true. That the more we have, the more we worry about those things. And the more we have to worry about losing those things, you know, is a storm going to come in and destroy my home there in, in Garing? The more I have to worry about maintaining and protecting my stuff, and pretty soon we become possessed by our possessions. And so how do we overcome materialism in our lives? What's the secret to financial health and freedom? Well, I want us to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, Turn over to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. I believe Paul gives us a little hint, a little secret into how we can be financially fit. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Again, just a different way of hearing some of these passages. It says Paul says to the church in Philippi, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. And so put your finger there in that in that passage there, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But you think about this, underline the word there, learned. You see, it, it would be awesome if we could just flip a switch and be like, yep, I'm content. I have everything I need. I'm good to go. Whew, I got it all figured out. No, 
it's a struggle for us in America, isn't it? It's something that we have to learn. It's a discipline that we have to apply in our lives. And being content is, is going to go against everything you were taught in our culture. Maybe some of you were taught in your homes growing up. Maybe just in society as a whole and all throughout our media. We're taught to be discontent. But if you're going to be content, you're going to have to work at it with everything that you have. It's something that you learn. And if you continue on, verse 12, Paul says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You see, the secret to defeat materialism, to find financial health, to learn how to be content in our current circumstances. And how does Paul say we're going to be able to do that? How are we going to learn how to be content? Well, verse 13 told us. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through him. It's not going to be anything that you're going to learn in this world, but it's going to be through God's word. And now I think about this, well, why is this a a secret? I mean, doesn't it seem to be straightforward? But it's a secret because finding contentment is not obvious in our world. It's not obvious and it isn't easy in our world, in our economy. Our economy is powered by discontentment. And that's why that you're always seeing advertisements on TV of something new that you don't have yet. Something that you should want. They don't advertise things from 40 years ago. Here's the iPod, the first edition. You need this. No, they don't say that. What are they saying now? The iPhone 12. Tommy didn't even tell me the iPhone 12 was coming out. I had to see it on a commercial. Thanks a lot, Tommy. But, you know, we have this this culture that constantly tells us that you're missing out, that you need something that that you don't have, and, and so it creates discontentment in our lives. And all the while, the world is saying, just all you need is a little bit more. A little bit more and you'll be there. One more thing and you got it figured out. That's when you're going to be secure. A little bit more and you're going to be, you know, happy. One more thing and you're going to be important. And so how do we learn godly contentment? Please write this down. This is how we can learn godly contentment. The first thing that I would challenge us with is refuse to compare myself to others. Refuse to compare myself to others. When I drive down my streets to get to my house, I live in a, in a nice neighborhood. I praise God for the blessing that he's given us uh, as far as the house goes and the neighborhood we live in is nice. And I have to drive down the street like this. You know, it's like having blinders on a horse because I drive down the street and there's this nice little trailer. Like, not very big, like two by four little trailer, cargo trailer. I'm thinking, man, that would be awesome to have to pull behind my 15-passenger van because I have so many kids we can't put all our stuff in there. And so I need a little trailer, and it would be awesome to have that guy's trailer. Then I got drive down the street a little bit farther, and there's this guy that has a really nice boat. It's like a brown, nice boat. It matches his sweet, like, brand-new GMC pickup dually. I'm like, that would be awesome to have. And drive down the street, and somebody else has a side-by-side. And I'm thinking, man, th- all these things would be – and I just, I just I have to drive down the street with blinders on because comparing ourselves to others is always destructive. It always ends up in a mess. There's only, there's only two options for comparing yourself to someone. You compare yourself to someone, and you think, yeah, I'm lots better than them. I got it all figured out. Well, what, 
sin is that? That's pride. So you compare yourself to someone, you think you got it all figured out, well, then you end up being prideful. And the second option is you compare yourself to someone, which is, this happens for most of us, and we think, well, they have better things. They have more than I have. They have something that I, I really want. They've been blessed beyond what I should be, you know, I, I haven't been blessed the same way that they've been blessed, and we compare ourselves to others, and we start to envy others. And you may have already experienced this coming in here this morning. Maybe you've been thinking, oh, man, they got nicer clothes on than I have. I don't even have that kind of nice clothes. Or so-and-so, you know, their kids are behaving way better than my kids. Or my kids, man, they are way better. You know, and I, we start this, this game of comparing to our, ourselves to other people. And, and social media, of course, heightens this. And all we see on other people's social media pages is all the, the amazing lives that we have. When in reality, we're all just struggling just as much as the next person. And we, we begin to be discontent. We start to feel bad about ourselves. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves with themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. In other translations, it says they're ignorant. Okay, when, when all we spend time doing is comparing ourselves with ourselves or comparing ourselves with each other, it says we're not wise. We're ignorant. We need to have God as our standard. And envy is spiritual poison. Envy is spiritual poison. It, I, as I thought through this, it's just amazing to me to think that it takes someone who is happy when you envy someone. It takes someone who is happy and it makes them miserable and discontent without changing a single thing. You didn't do anything you, except for envy somebody. Nothing's changed in your life. The only thing that's changed is you've gone from being happy to miserable, but nothing else has changed, all because you envy somebody else. And comparing yourself to others will make you financially unfit because when someone has something that you don't have, then you think that you need to get that, just kind of like the keeping up with the Joneses. And we, re we read this verse a few weeks ago, Galatians 6, verse 4. It says, each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Whether it be in our finances, in our marriages, in our spiritual walks with God, in what deer that we shot, whatever hunting story we might have, fishing, in any of those things, we have to stop comparing ourselves to those around us because each one of you are unique you are exactly the way God has created you to be we need to stop comparing ourselves to others and we need to stop thinking that your worth comes from how you stack up against someone else because it doesn't your worth comes from the fact that you were created uniquely by God and so if you want to find contentment so that you can free yourself from the grip of materialism, so that you can be financially fit, the first step is stop comparing. So turn to the person next to you and say, stop comparing. Stop comparing. Stop comparing. Okay, everybody? Okay. Garrick, stop comparing. Okay. All right. That's the first thing. Stop comparing. Don't compare yourself with those around you the second thing is remember life is not about things 
And I'm kind of throwing my son Bodie under the bus here a little bit. Um, but a few months ago, uh, he really wanted to have a, a, a Nerf gun. And it's not like little, like, pull, single action, you know, Nerf gun. This is like a sweet Nerf gun. And I, I could see why he would want it. It's like it's got a mag that you put a bunch of Nerf bullets in. And it's battery powered. And it's, auto, you know, fully automatic. You know, and, it, and it's not like you have to take the time to reload. There's a little hole in the back where you just put the dart in, the, the Nerf dart, and it just, it takes these in and reloads it automatically, and it's like, you know, you're the man when you're playing Nerf Wars, okay? And I could see, and so we discussed it out, and we talked about, you know, the money that he had, uh, and the money that he's already tithed, and some of those type of things, so we discussed, okay, you can buy this. Well, not too long after that, I would say maybe a month, maybe, maybe a month, a week, <laughs> Somewhere in there, uh, he thought he needed to get a skateboard. And we're like, well, your birthday's coming up, October. And uh, you can maybe, we'll see if we can get that. Well, it's nice weather out right now, you know. And so maybe we could, maybe you guys could get it for me ahead of time. And then I won't worry about having a birthday present on my birthday. We're like, Autumn gave in to that. Uh, and uh, so we said, <laughs> we said, okay, that's fine. We'll get the skateboard ahead of time. And he he rode it while it was nice out, enjoyed the skateboard, and, and not too long after that, well, and his birthday came, we didn't get another present, uh, and not too long after that, we start hearing, well, I'd really like to get a Nintendo Switch. I mean, like, this is all within a month or two of it, you know, Nerf gun, skateboard, Nintendo Switch, and I had this discussion with Bodie, like, if this is kind of your mentality now as a young kid, that you always have to get the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, then as you get to adulthood, that's going to be the same exact mentality that you're going to have. The problem is those toys get more and more expensive. And you have to want the next thing and the next thing. And, and I do want to mention, though, that all throughout that, you know, Bodie, he's talking to Dan Elston. He said, yeah, I, I, I've tithed this month, tithed this much, and I've saved this much. And so I have this much more to go before I can get to the point where I can maybe buy a Nintendo Switch. And so I, I appreciate that about Bodie. But a lot of times we have this mentality in life that we forget to remember that life is not about things. Life is not about things. And I think about people that have lost everything and maybe like a hurricane or a tornado and how we hear those interviews on TV and they say things like, it's only stuff. Or we're going to be fine. Or we didn't lose anything that we can't, that can't be replaced and in my mind, I'm thinking, how can you have that mentality? How can you say those things when you've lost everything? But they can say those things because they have the right perspective. The most important things in life aren't things at all. The most important things in life aren't things at all. See, you can always get more stuff. But life is not about getting more. Life is about relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Proverbs 30, verse 7 through 9, is, a, is an interesting prayer being prayed. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, write that down or, or follow along with me. It says, two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me, far from me. And then he says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have to have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord 
or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. You see, this is a very balanced prayer. I think for a lot of us, we're willing to pray the first part of the prayer of, please don't make me poor. God, please don't make me poor. But how often have we ever prayed the prayer of, God, please do not make me rich. God, I I don't want to be rich. I don't know if I've ever prayed that prayer, but I probably, you know, need to start. But it's this balance of, of not being poor, not being rich. And it's this idea of realizing that we can't allow money to be our focus in life. But it, we also need to remember it's not that money is the root of all evil. In fact, the Bible in 1 Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And materialism tricks you into thinking that life is about things. And you'll never be filled up with the things of this world. It's never going to fill you up. We, we get those things and the newness wears off and the happiness and, and then pretty soon we're on to the next thing. It's never going to fill you up. Only God can fill you up. And Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So how do we combat wanting more things? Well, I think it's by being generous with what we already have towards others. If you want your money to stop controlling you, be willing to give some of that money away. If you want your possessions to stop possessing you, then be willing to be generous with your possessions. Every time you give, it breaks the hold that those things have on your life. And when you're willing to give away the things that are controlling your life, it puts things in the right perspective. And giving of your tithes and offerings shows the priority you have placed on God in your life when you're willing to do that. You see, it's about your heart. And when you give, it has eternal effects as well. And so I want us to think about a challenge this morning, a challenge where the next time you think about buying that next new thing that you want, would you be willing to give a sacrificial gift back to God that's equal to or greater than the cost of that new item? And for each of us, it's different. Maybe it's a new phone or a new vehicle or it's a new uh, handbag or it's a new pair of shoes or a clothes, shirt, whatever it might be. Are you willing to... Tell God that you're going to give a sacrificial gift back to him, either equal to or greater than the cost of that new item. And, and for some of us, maybe for some of you, you have financial ability to do both. Yeah, I can, I can make that sacrificial gift and get my new item. But for many of us, it's either, either or. Am I willing to give the sacrificial gift or do I really think I need to get this new item? Now, I I say that challenge kind of tongue-in-cheek a little bit, meaning that we don't have to do that. That's not what God's Word says. But what if God asked you to? Would you be willing? Would you be able to do that, to say, God, I'm willing to put put you first over this other thing that might have some control in my life? Because God's Word does say that. You can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one and forsake the other. And when it comes to money or God, I pray we choose God every single time. 
You see, giving is the antidote to materialism. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir. I know that many of you give above and beyond monthly, especially when it comes to giving more than you spend on other items during the month. But I bring this up to really challenge myself in a lot of ways. To make sure that I'm checking myself. Are we, are we people that are making sure that materialism doesn't control us and our families? And so I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, life is not about things. Okay? Life is not about things. <laughs> and to learn godly contentment, to get financially fit, Man, I, I have to stop comparing myself to others, and I have to remember that life isn't about things. And the third thing that I want to challenge us with this morning is that just enjoy what you have. A lot of us have been very blessed. As Americans, we're very blessed. We have more than, you know, we're, we're in the top. If you make over $30,000 a year, you're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. God enjoys giving good things. His word tells us that. All good things come from our Heavenly Father. God is a generous God. And our Heavenly Father enjoys seeing His children enjoy what He has blessed them with, just like we as parents enjoy seeing our kids enjoy the things that we bless them with. I was just discussing with my wife, Autumn, the other day that, man, we, we enjoy being able to give our kids life experiences or to be able to somehow provide for them some of the things that they've been wanting over time, that they've been thinking about and, and planning for, and even things, simple things that we enjoy as parents, being able to give them a simple thing like taking them to free ice cream at Craves on Thursdays, okay? Just so you all know, parents, free ice cream at Craves on Thursdays. They didn't tell me to say that, but as with having, you know, eight kids, we know where all the free stuff is during the week, all right? Okay? Thursdays, Craves, free ice cream. No, no purchase necessary, by the way, but you kind of feel bad if you don't. But anyway, um... But beyond enjoying, you know, being able to bless our kids in all these different areas, what I really enjoy, what really warms my heart, is being able to see our kids enjoy what we've blessed them with. When they're thankful and they appreciate what we are able to give them. And because we love our children, we love to watch them enjoy life. And the same is true with God. As God's children... He looks at us and, and he wants to bless us and be generous with us. And he wants us to enjoy what we have. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. God is blessing us. And we need to enjoy it. But see, the problem comes when we spend all of our time thinking that, you know, there's something better out there. Somebody else has something that we don't have. And we let others around us cause us to be discontent. And going back to the Craves uh, ice cream illustration, just the other day, my son Brady, and, and I will say that he did ask for a cone, but he ended up with a bowl with ice cream in it. And the ice cream was still good. It was still the kind he wanted. He still enjoyed it. And yet he began to not enjoy it when his sibling right after him got ice cream on a cone. And he went from enjoying something that had been given to him to then being upset, 
arms crossed, upset that he doesn't have a cone. And I wonder how many times do we as adults do the very same thing in life where we have something that God has blessed us with, and instead of just enjoying it, we worry about what somebody else has. We want what they have. And until you learn to be content with what God has already given you, you're going to fall victim to when and then thinking. It's like this. When I get a promotion, then I'm going to be happy. Or when I make a certain amount of money, then I'll be happy. Or when I get this apartment or this house or when I get this car, then I'll be happy. Or for some of you, when I retire and I have to work anymore, that's when I'm going to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Do you know what the problem with this kind of thinking is? Is that when you get to the end of your life and you look back on all the times that you should have been happy, you never were. You should have enjoyed the moment that God blessed you with at the time, but you didn't because you kept thinking when and then. And there's so many scenarios in our lives where we have that mentality. You see, contentment is about being grateful for the situation that you're in right now, enjoying what you have, even if it doesn't feel like it's that much. Even when you look at other people and they have more, we need to enjoy it and be thankful for it. And the truth is that for most everyone who is here today, whether online or in person, God has given each one of us enough, everything that we need to be happy. And so I want you to take a moment and turn to the person next to you and say, enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you have. Wyatt, enjoy what you have. 1 Timothy 6.17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Putting your hope in God instead of money brings about financial health, and it brings about happiness. As the praise team comes this morning, I want to close by challenging us to focus on what will last forever. What are you investing in for eternity? Proverbs 23, 5 says, In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. I know for me, I've experienced that. We, I thought I had a little bit more you know, money in my top sock drawer. You know, Where'd that money go? Oh yeah, I spent that. Or maybe we, we get a gift and we're like, oh, we're going to spend that in this area. And then, well, maybe we should spend it in this. And we've already spent money in 10 different areas. And, and, and wealth, money, just all of a sudden it can just disappear at times. And that's why the most important decision that you can make to be financially fit is to first be spiritually fit. You've got to decide, am I going to build my life on an unhealthy desire for more? Or am I going to build my life on my relationship with God? Am I going to focus on stuff? Or am I going to focus on the Savior, Jesus Christ? So this morning, if you have a decision to make, 
If you need to pray with someone, if you want to make this your church home, we invite you to come as we sing. Will you please stand with me this morning?